Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey, Ragers, Madigan here. So, there isn't a new episode this week since Keegan is out of town, but we didn't want to leave you with nothing to listen to. So, I've gone through the archives and I've chosen an old episode on toxic masculinity, which was first released September 9th, 2019. I hope you all enjoy the episode. Rage on. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. That it is. It is. And today we're going to be talking about uh, something that I feel like was a big, big thing this year. Okay, like the Gillette ad came out. There were a lot of things coming out this year where toxic masculinity, hashtag toxic masculinity, was in the news cycle, in the media, all over social media. Yeah. Um, And we really want to talk about a little bit about what that is because I very often... Men immediately get very defensive as soon as you say the words toxic masculinity because they assume, I think a lot of the time, that you are calling masculinity toxic. Yes. Which is not... It's not what that is. Yes. And I also find it interesting that this is a term that's been used for... You know, not a super long time, but quite some time. And it's like, it's a psychological term. It's something that psychologists kind of to- uh, coined. And there's a lot behind it that's more psychological rather than just it being like a media catchy phrase. You know what I mean? And here's the thing about about toxic masculinity is while it is, of course, detrimental to women, it is absolutely like detrimental to women. It's detrimental to um, men and their relationships with women. Beyond anything else, I think when doing my prep for this episode, what really resonated with me is that it's the most detrimental to men themselves. It is. And so, like, when people who are anti-feminists like to come in and say that feminism is only for women and you're trying to destroy men and you're trying to destroy masculinity... This is meant to help men. Like, this is tearing apart your own, like, toxic masculine traits um, and these things that we perpetuate as a culture for men and these expectations that we put on men and boys. Like, it is fucking up men. Like, it's making it harder for you. Right. And I feel like it's really important because I feel like the more knowledge that we have on this subject, especially with anybody who wants to one day raise children or has young boys, it's important to understand what toxic masculinity is, the signs um, of what's to come, things to look out for. It's important to know so there can be early intervention, there can be uh, different socialization happening, and you can be aware of the different things that your young boy is going through in a world that socializes such toxic behavior. Right, yeah, and it's honestly, it's a culture problem. It is. It's something that we as It's not biological. It's not biological, and it's something that we as a culture need to combat. Like, it's not just an individual issue. It's something that every single person needs to work on. Yeah. And because it honestly, it it permeates everywhere. It's coming from all these different sources. Right. Literally, basically, every every different aspect of life. Yeah. The media, household, schooling, everything about it. Yeah, your peers, your (laughs) workplace, everything. Um, Let's talk a little bit about some traditional stereotypes that are put into this gender norm that can be seen as toxic for toxic masculinity. It says, men being socially dominant, along with traits including homophobia, misogyny, prominent violence, sexual assault, and domestic abuse. The socialization of boys normalizes violence with the whole boys will be boys thing. Like, when a boy is being picked on. Like, for instance, the kid that I take care of last year, there were kids a few years older than him that were, like, throwing sticks at him, throwing rocks at him. One of them shoved his friend down. And the teachers weren't really doing anything about it. And it was really frustrating for me and the parents. And, like, we kept 
talking to the teachers like something needs to be done this isn't normal but I feel like there's this whole boys will be boys boys will play rough kind of thing but that's not okay to be letting these kids off the hook for being legitimately violent like I was suspended from school when I was 12 which is shocking because I was a goody two-shoes because I had like kicked a guy for saying something mean to me and my friend and then he literally like shoved me across the room and we both got suspended but at least like, we were fighting or whatever, but at least there was, like, some sort of punishment that went along with that. If you're shoving a kid down and you're throwing things at them and you just get off the hook, that's that's condoning that behavior. Well, and we also need to address, like, why that behavior is existing so much in the first place. Oh, yeah. I you know, mean, it's because, like, we have this belief that boys, little boys, it yeah. starts from a very early age, that they need to man up, that they need yeah. to stop crying, and that they need to solve their problems in a physical way. Yes. It's not something that we we do to women. Yeah. Um well, and it's also just, like, it's it, a lot of it comes from the home. Like, a lot of it is really important to see how, um, you know, we, we look up to our parents, and I feel often um, young girls tend to look up to their mothers, young boys tend to look up to their fathers. I know that's not always the case. But, like, if you are seeing things at home uh, from your father or maybe from a boyfriend of your mother's or from a sibling, and you're seeing certain behavior and it's being enforced that way from someone that you look up to, a lot of times that will translate to your peers at school. Right. I mean, and it's not only, like, it's not only being enforced as in, like, you are watching that behavior happen, although that does happen. It's very often being outright told to boys. I yeah. grew up with that. You know, like, anytime I went over to, like, my grandparents' house with my uncles there, my brother was a pretty sensitive, like, kid. Yeah. And that was not seen as being masculine. He was, like, eight years old and yeah. being told to toughen stop up. crying. Yeah. Like, yeah, to, to toughen up. You know, and so from a very young age... and. I watched this incredible documentary from the Representation Project, and they did uh, Misrepresented, uh, which was a great documentary. And so I watched this one called The Mask You Live In. It was so good, and it's all about this. It's all about, like, how we are failing our boys by having this, like, hyper-masculine idea. And it's—I highly recommend it. It was was very good. Um, But— in this, there's a doctor named Michael Kimmel. He's a sociologist and educator, and he said, we've constructed an idea of masculinity in the United States that doesn't give young boys a way to feel secure in their masculinity, so we make them go prove it all the time. They're, right. Like, if you... And I think he is the same person who also gave the example that if you want to start a fight on any, like, playground yeah. with little boys who are playing together, you can go up there and say, which one of you is a sissy? Yep. And they'll point to... They'll either... They'll either point out one of the boys or they'll start fighting amongst each other right and then that boy who's being picked on either has to fight them or he has to run away prove he's not a sissy right or yeah or prove he is because we don't give them ways to like feel secure well yeah and the other thing too is that we don't allow boys to have any other emotions rather than anger that's something that was that became very obvious to me in acting school. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you experienced yes, that too. Absolutely. Where men had a very hard time in class expressing anything other than anger and they had a hard time connecting to any other emotions. And over time it shifts to asserting power over another, particularly when masculinity is threatened, which is what you were saying. Like as soon as somebody calls you a sissy or for lack of better use, a pussy. Right. It's like they're like, Well, I don't wanna be I don't wanna be known as that and that's when that's their only instinctive reaction is anger right. and, and part of part of why it is so toxic and it, part of why it translates into toxicity towards women is because at its core inherently it is the rejection of anything feminine yeah right like you and and because of that like if you are always taught don't be a sissy don't be a pussy um all of these things that are honestly equated to womanhood yeah. then of course you are going to start to demean women because yeah. they are clearly Lesser. below you. Yeah, yeah, you are superior to them clearly because yeah. that is something that you are trying to avoid at all costs. Yeah. Is being equated to anything feminine. There is this um, psychologist, Joseph Pleck, who devised the masculine gender role strain paradigm. And he says that the three major pillars of that are discrepancy, dysfunction, and trauma. And discrepancy is like when a man experiences stress deriving from self-perceived failure to live up to masculine expectations 
Dysfunction is when he maintains normative masculine expectations. And then, of course, trauma, what we were talking about, seeing violence in your home, seeing violence from your peers, different things like that, enforcing um, anger rather than any sort of sensitivity or um, defending yourself in any other way. And I mean, look at media. Like, if you look at media examples of even superheroes, right, or violent video games, if you watch these Almost always, if the protagonist is hurt, he acts out in anger and violence. Like, almost always, even if they're supposed to be the good guy, they never try to work through their emotions in any other kind of, like, healthy way. And honestly, even in other types of... Because you could say, oh, well, it's an action movie. Like, of course, like, that's that's how it had to be. But, like, in almost anything, it's very rare to see... Um, boys and men actually openly expressing their emotions I to each even, other. Even in like romantic comedies, when right. like yeah, there might be some sensitive moments with men, but I feel like even then, it's usually like lashing out in anger in some way. It's like either saying something demeaning to the female partner or um, going out and doing something crazy, like driving a car really fast or getting too drunk or drinking or, a lot. Yeah, destructive behavior. Yeah, it's always very very destructive rather than having any sort of like rational emotional connection with yourself it's like this very like men are very much expected to like push your emotions down and to not discuss them right and and again i believe that that is because we have decided that getting together with your friends and talking about your feelings is a very feminine thing to do yeah and because we have demonized the things that are feminine as being you're not a man if you do anything that's remotely considered feminine, you know, no homo, you know, or any of that stuff, that it discourages you from having that close bond that really everybody needs. Like, you need to have that socialization. It is important. I have lots of male friends who I love very much, but, like, I need, it's important to me to have this kind of closeness with people of my own, like, gender. Like, I like having, you know, female relationships yeah. or, like, you know, relationships with other women. Because like, that it is, is important different. to me. Because the vulnerability is very different. It, it is different. And men need that, too. And because we're also going through very different things. Yeah. And you want somebody who's able to relate to you on right. that level. You kind of need that. And yeah. so, like, if you don't get that or you don't feel safe, like, you're going to internalize all of that shit. Yeah, I really wonder when that shifts because with the kid that I take care of, he's very huggy. There was one time that he got hurt at a birthday party and like he just got like a little cut on his finger, but he like laid on the couch and his friend sat next to him and he just kind of like draped his arm around him in a hug. And it was something just so sweet that they were showing this like physical affection. Like he was there for his friend and his his friend was getting support from him. Where I wonder when that changes. You they know, they actually talk about it in the documentary yeah. about, about when it changes because and you can actually see it as somebody who has um, three brothers. Yeah, you can see this shift happen. Um, where in middle school, like boys still have close male friendships. Yeah. Um, and they in large part like still hang out in groups and like still have sleepovers. Right. Do yeah. that stuff together. There is a distinct shift that happens around like fifteen. Okay. Where they stop doing that and they start becoming like more competitive and start feeling like they can't um have those relationships. And in turn, it actually directly correlates. There was like a um they showed a, a graph. It directly correlates with the amount of depression, substance abuse, and things like that that go up in boys. Because yeah. at some point, um, it you know, it's all kind of like even for, for boys and girls up until about 15 or 16. And then the rates of depression in boys actually goes way up. And is yeah. at, it actually outnumbers the and number of girls. And that makes you very isolated. And it makes you very, very isolated. And because boys also, there's more boys depressed in high school than there are girls. Yeah. But we recognize depression in girls because depression manifests in a very, like... Emotional way. Right. Like, they they isolate themselves. It's like what we think of as depression. They're quiet, they're solemn, they're alone, they're isolating themselves, whereas boys are much more likely to act out aggressively. Right. Well, and then, women are also more likely to speak with their parents or ask for help from a friend. Absolutely. They're more willing to discuss the issues they're going through where, like you said, men will, like, lash out and act aggressively and won't actually talk about what's going on. And when we see boys acting out aggressively, we just think, like, that's a bad kid or, yeah. like, that's a bad guy. And s- instead of really, like, analyzing, what's oh, going on? that's depression that's manifesting itself. Yeah. And by the time we recognize it, because eventually 
they were saying in the documentary, like, eventually it will turn into what we, like, stereotypically see as depression. Eventually they will become, like, isolated and quiet and all of that stuff. Yeah. But by that time, you know, the number of, like, suicide in young boys or teenagers or young men is actually very, very high. Yeah, it is. Because by Which that point... we learned point, the red pill. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's interesting how, like... The whole bromance culture became very popular, I want to say, like, around the time that I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Like, late 2000s-ish. But always no homo. Always no homo. Yes. But there was this, like, hugging... Like, I just remember, like, super bad in the end when they're in, like, their their sleeping bags and boop! You know, like, there was this kind of, like, bromance culture that yeah. started that still had a lot of, like toxic undertones to it but it it started to slowly kind of celebrate male friendships like whenever I see my friends hug each other or whenever I hear them say that they love each other like there's something like that warms my heart so much even more like I hear my girlfriends being like oh I love her I love her we hear all the time so when you hear a man say I love this person it's like very poignant or you remember that you know it is you know but like on that note there is a facet of that, that, like, super bad kind of thing where it's just, like, I can express my closeness to you when I'm really drunk, right? That's like, true. so yeah. it encourages this, yeah. like, like drinking culture because then you can just say, oh, yeah, like, I gave him a hug or whatever, but it was, like, no big deal because we true. were wasted, dude, you know? Well, like, like, we a, were wasted. But there's I love you, man. There, there is, but, I mean, also, there are these, like, stereotypes of yeah. men, even in media, where I would consider I Love You Man to be almost this, like, man-child stereotype. Oh, it is. You know it I totally mean? is. Yeah. Um, but I kind of wanted to touch on... I know we talked about this in our Gendering Babies episode, but yes. I do think for this episode it is important to reinforce this. So this was from a neuroscientist uh, named Lise Elliott, and she said... Throughout most of history, there has been this belief that men and women are fundamentally different creatures. It probably Uh begins with the Bible. Sex is a biological term. It refers to which chromosomes you have. 2X is female, X and Y is male. Gender is a social construct. These are expressions of masculinity and femininity, and both of these are spectrums, and they overlap. And then this psychologist was saying... Boys and girls are far more human and far more the same than they are different. If you gave 50,000 psychological tests to girls, it would fall on a bell-shaped curve. If you gave the same 50,000 psychological tests to boys, it would fall out on a boy bell-shaped curve. If you superimpose them, they'd be 90% overlapping. You've got the shoulders that stick out on either side... And those are very often the traits that feed into our stereotypes. The brain is not hardwired. The brain develops based on what a child spends their time on. So, like, if you look at these two, like, these two charts, there's, like, a little bit that leans a little one way because women have more estrogen biologically than Mm -hmm. men, and men have more testosterone biologically. But in general, behavior is based on, is learned like, yeah. it's not that women are naturally more empathetic and men are naturally more aggressive. There yeah. will be people on either side who fit into that. Yeah. But gender in general is a spectrum. Yeah. And you will almost always fall somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And so this idea that boys are inherently more aggressive or this boys will be boys and it's just the way they are. Yeah. No, that's a learned behavior. The brain yeah. is plastic. It's like, it's, it's it can malleable. Mold. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I found something interesting where you were talking about this whole misunderstanding of the opposite gender. Like that is also like a very toxic um, idea that we have that there's no way that men could ever understand women and there's no way that women can yeah. ever understand men. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Yeah, exactly. Like they're so completely different because it also just kind of shuts you off from having any sort of willingness to learn. I feel like it kind of takes away that empathy of instead of men saying, wait, but I but I want to understand them. I want to be friends with them. I want to be a caring person. They're just like, oh, we're too different. I'm never going to understand women. Oh, women. I and don't understand it. But it's that the same also, thing with women, too. That also starts very early, and I remember that from my childhood. Boys go to Mars to get candy bars? Yeah. Or girls go to Mars to get candy bars? Boys go to Jupiter to get more stupid? Yes. And, like, I remember... Um, I do remember, like, there was a certain age where, like, if you watch kids from very young, they will all play with each other. Like, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. And then there is a certain point, like, in school where boys and girls, like, split off. Yeah. And 
there does become this kind of like even in elementary school there's this like bro code hierarchy totally. where like you want to be accepted by other boys and part of that acceptance is not hanging out with girls or like yeah. being associated with girls yeah. being friends with girls but I feel like also there's this weird heteronormative culture where immediately like if a boy is hanging out with a girl it's like oh do you like her is that your girlfriend oh, yeah, and absolutely. vice versa too where like no, it's just your friend. And by somebody putting that implication on a friendship, when you're young, you're like, oh, well, I'm not going to hang out with that person anymore because everyone's going to think we're dating or that I like her and I don't. Or they're going to think I'm gay. Yeah. Yeah, it's like one or the other because we are feminizing. Like, it's either this super heteronormative sexualization yeah. of children, which is yeah. weird, or it's this, you know, kind of this idea that if you are hanging out with people of the opposite sex that it says something about your sexuality yeah. at a young age. And all of it is, like, sexualizing children in a weird fucking way. It's very gross. You know, that we shouldn't be doing in the first place. Yeah. I can't stand... I mean, I'm sorry if this is something that you enjoy, but I personally have... I just get a gag reflex whenever I see it. It's like, my little prince charming, my little princess. Like, there's just something so... Like, I know a lot... I know it's normal for a lot of people, but for me personally... I'm in a lot of wedding groups, and let me tell you, the number of times I have seen, like, stylized photo shoots that look with two little kids, right? They'll put the little girl in, like, a white dress and the boy in a suit, and they will have a wedding photo shoot. So think of all of the pictures that you see of, like, weddings. Yes. Um, You know, the the bridal portraits with kids. And the number of people in the comments who are like, oh, my God, it's so cute. Oh, my God, there's something wrong with you if you're sexualizing this. And I'm like, no, this is weird. Yeah. (laughs) Like, this is weird. We're putting, like, a weird romantic relationship on five-year-olds. Yeah. That's strange. And again, yes, I'm sorry. You're not letting them explore their own thing. And if that's something, again, that you think is cute or whatever, like, that's that's all right. But you have your own to, reasons, too, for us personally. Yeah, for <laughs> me personally, I cringe every time I see it because yeah. I... I just feel like it's putting these expectations on children oh, that yeah. don't need to be I saw be a baby shower where it's like, our Prince Charming is coming, and I'm like, oh... Yeah, oh, I don't know. Ow, it's gross. Um, I find it interesting, too, the un- the conversations around sex when it comes to men, especially because men are um, expected to love sex, always want sex, always be ready for sex, 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 where I think that men are more uh, mature than that, for the most part, unless they just are sex-crazed people. But well, there is I think this they've culture been socialized of, not to be. Of, like, playboy yeah. culture. Mm-hmm. And then when a man doesn't want sex or has been a victim of sexual abuse or has anything or just isn't in the fucking mood, they start to feel, like, guilty if they're not in the mood. Like, they're expected to always want sex. Mm-hmm. And there's a weird understanding of that, I feel like, even from a very young age when it comes to, like puberty and this is what society has started to like implicate on them that this is what you is going to drive you in life is your ability to get a mate and to have sex with them right, right? yes okay yes. i just want to make sure i wasn't crazy in the way i was thinking about it no i don't think you're crazy at all and i also think we are in this weird time right i think first of all sex has always been um about proving your masculinity a lot of times. That's the way it's been framed in our culture. Like, sexual conquests um, are to prove your masculinity. How many women can you get? And, like, somehow that makes you more of a man if you can, like, sleep with as many women as possible. So there's that. But we're also living in this really weird time right now where... we have so much more exposure. Even from when we were children... Oh, yeah. um, There is so much more exposure to sex. And you have... A ton of exposure to sex where you could just search blonde in, you know, in a search engine and it will pull up photos of like busty blonde women, but busty blonde women. And if you just click on one of those and the next one is somebody who's naked, right? Like, yeah, it's you will inadvertently see pornographic imagery um, now. So we have that paired with the fact that um, only 22 states in the United States require sex ed in school. And because of abstinence only education, porn is very often the only sex education that a lot of people have. So they're inadvertently... They're being told that, um, you know, you can prove your masculinity through sexual conquests. They're not being given actual uh, sex education. Right. And then they're accidentally exposed for the first time, maybe, to seeing 
pornography. And then once they start down that path to pornography, and I'm not here to demonize pornography. Like, I've used it. I don't think that it's the worst thing in the world. However, I do think it can be detrimental to young boys because they young don't have people... The ed- well, they don't have the education behind it, and they believe that that's how you treat women, especially when there's a lot of fucked up so shit so much of it is violent. Like, yeah. so much well, of it... Well, and women are often very... Especially when it's, like, male-oriented videos, I feel like a lot of times it is very much objectifying, even if the women are cool with it. Like, I, I know that consent is a big deal in that industry. The women know what they're getting into, and I say more power to you, 100%. Right. But I believe that when young boys see women being objectified or treated a certain way, you know, smacked on the butt, grabbed, groped, anything like that, surprised, and it's in this exciting sexual scenario, they believe that that's acceptable. And that's what women want, actually. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, you know, an even scarier statistic is that, like, 18% of young boys have been exposed to rape online in the guise of pornography because it can leak into these porn websites where these are actual rapes that are happening. So they're being exposed to these things in the same vein and at the same rate that they're being exposed to consensual pornography. Wait, like, you mean that, like, actual rapes that have been videotaped are online? Yes. Okay, sorry. Yeah, did I say 22%? I meant 18%. You said 18%. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, so, yes, actual rapes that are being videotaped and exposed online. Yeah. Um, well, and there's also, like, we see it a lot on TV. I feel like this, um, you know, boys getting nudes of girls or or recording their conquests and then showing it to their guy friends. Yes. It's that whole thing, It's a way to prove your masculinity. Exactly. Especially if they've been seen as being feminine in the past. Like, you know, I was looking at a lot of different examples of things that men are supposed to be or not supposed to be, and there's things like enjoying frivolous things such as girly drinks or uh, self-care when it comes to, like, your skin Which or is, your hair. Oh, my God. I had a conversation with my brother while he was here because we were talking about lotion because yeah. it's always a joke that, like, black people use way more lotion than white people because like, okay. black people just we lotion all the time. I need and, more lotion. Um, my skin is bad. <laughs> um, and he was telling me about a friend from back home who's a white guy, but he was saying that he didn't, like, he didn't use lotion because he thought it was feminine. He thought it was girly. And I'm like, I'm sorry, do you not have skin? Yeah. Like, your skin is the same as like yeah. everyone else's skin and that whole thing that was one thing I thought about when I was thinking about toxic masculinity as well with like girly drinks quote unquote yeah. it's just like your taste buds are not gendered yeah. so it's like if you, because you like the taste of mango suddenly that makes you <laughs> girly like it's such a weird thing to think about because you like rosé I get that it's called rosé but come on I mean yeah and there's also like the interest in like their looks they don't want to act like they're too into their looks you know they want to show that they care like there's this weird thing especially like when the whole um like when that whole like metrosexual thing mm-hmm. started kind of being a thing in like the 90s where it's like they they wanted to show that they cared about their appearance but not so much that like oh but we're still men we're still men like i well, make it you know if they do care about their appearance it's typically in a very masculine way as in like I'm in the gym getting muscles or I'm playing sports or, you know, like, these are the ways that I can care about the way that I look. Yeah, or there's this weird thing where, like, I remember when, like, men would get, like, manicures, but then they'd at the same time have to, like, prove their masculinity in other ways. Right. You know what I mean? It's just, like, it's a very very weird thing. If you do one thing that's feminine, it's almost like they have to combat that with something that is known as typically masculine. Right. You know? I wanted to go back a little bit to talk about, you know, the way the ways in which toxic masculinity affects women. And, you know, we touched on pornography. um, But something that was said in this documentary that I actually thought was really um, something that I hadn't really thought about before, and that is a lot of the verbiage that young men use when talking about sex in general um, in relation to women when they say things like, I'd hit it, or I want to tear that up, right? It's like, these are violent actions, hit, tear, all of these things are kind of violent actions paired with using objectifying terms. You're calling a woman it or that, which yeah. is an object. So we're teaching our boys not to see 
humanity in yeah. girls. You are literally looking at them as objects. And um, there was another, I think she was a psychologist, who said, we raise boys to become men whose very identity is based on rejecting the feminine, and then we're surprised when they don't see women as being fully human. Yeah. You know, because their humanity cannot be tied to it. It's not that it isn't. It's that yeah. it cannot be. It's it's negative. It's gross. It's something to be ashamed, ashamed of and separated from. And so why then are we surprised when they treat women like objects. Right. I read a really good article on the American Psychology Association website. I can never say asso- association well uh, it always when, sounds it's wrong with, to me. when it's with other words. I can say association on its own, but it always turns into association. Um, there, it's Toxic masculinity at its core is basically there to uphold this patriarchal structure. Absolutely. So it's like by calling women it or that and dehumanizing them in a way and using violent terms and with a lot of the other things that we've discussed, it's keeping women below. It's maintaining a very patriarchal structure. Right. There's and a hierarchy. Teaching, yes. And mm-hmm. we're teaching young boys that that is the hierarchy that they need to have as children, which then as they get older, it tends to escalate. And when a woman tries to stand up for themselves or when a woman does something that's typically masculine or anything like that, they feel that their system is being being um, threatened. And a right. lot of times that can react in other toxic behaviors as well as violence. Right. I mean, they call it aggrieved masculinity or um, aggrieved entitlement. They yeah. call it aggrieved entitlement. And it's the idea that because for so long they've been entitled to a certain kind of life, yeah. that that life being threatened at all makes them lash out in violence. And right. like one um, example of this is that incel who we talked about in our incel episode, who made that YouTube video. Yeah. Um, basically saying that because women won't date me, I'm going to make everybody pay, right? Like, there's this idea that if this power structure is starting to break down, that their lives are threatened. They've been owed a certain thing. And if they're not being given that thing that they were promised, that they've maybe, like, sacrificed their their own desires for, yeah. um, that they're going to lash out. And the yeah. only way that people that they know how to lash out because of the way we've socialized boys uh-huh. is through violence. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I think that the core of all of this is to make sure that when you're raising your boys to teach them to express and regulate their emotions in like a healthy way. Like it's not just about allowing boys to cry. It's not just about allowing you know, different emotions, but it's actually making sure that they're able to regulate their emotions and know how to handle them because that's important for men and women. Like, I know a lot of people who have spent a lot of their adult lives trying to learn, and myself included, learning how to healthily get through the emotions that I'm feeling because for me, a lot of it was self-inflicted violence on myself because I wasn't able to understand how to cope with the emotions and the feelings that I was having. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of other people, it's lashing out on other people. It's being aggressive. And so when you're a child and you learn that it's okay to feel these things, what are ways that we can work through these emotions? What are ways that we can talk about this in a healthy way? That's super important. It, it is. Instead of just it's, letting them have a tantrum. It's you know? very important. And it's also, I, I do want to emphasize that, especially for our older generations. So for like my grandparents and yeah. um, even my parents' generation to some degree, my, my parents' generation was a lot better about like, my mom was very good about like having us communicate our emotions and our feelings. But I feel like a lot of communities, especially communities that maybe are exposed to a lot more violence, so that is very often communities of color, um, and lower income communities who are exposed to that more frequently, I think parents in their own way and in their own minds are trying to protect their boys totally by telling them, if somebody hits you, hit them back, by yep. telling them, like, if... If no, like, don't let anybody treat you this way and you, like, you demand respect and, like, all of that stuff. I feel like... Which serves a purpose. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, they're not, I think, trying to be harmful a lot of the time. But because we have created this society where men have to prove their masculinity all the time, parents are afraid to send their boys out into the world being too weak because they're scared. I you know? completely understand that. And I think there's also that that just needs to be explained. Like, if you live in a, a world that is like that, 
yes, learn to defend yourself, but learn to defend yourself maybe in a healthy way. Like, the kid that I take care of does martial arts. And he's like, yeah, if anyone ever, like, tried to fight me, I would go into this stance because then he wouldn't be able to move me. Or, like, you know, he's got this own little thing going on. But also explaining that having that sort of reaction is important in only certain situations, not all situations. And to learn between... And learn the difference between the two, which I think can be kind of a fuzzy line. But, like, the reaction that you would have with somebody who is trying to inflict pain upon you and the and having a girlfriend who's having an argument with you is two different things. Well, I you know? know I know a lot of, like, a lot of the time in an area, I went to school in a magnet school in Las Vegas, which means it was a very, very good school, but it was put in a not very good neighborhood. Okay. And so, uh, at a certain percentage of the people who went to that school um, were pulled from that neighborhood. Yeah. And I, I know that, like, there was this mentality of needing to protect your masculinity and yeah. not stepping back from a fight because of that. Yeah. Because it would make you appear to be weak, yeah. right? Like, And so th- you wanted to avoid weakness at all costs. And if that meant um, fighting somebody, then that's what you were going to do. R- right. You know, and also, like, in this documentary, they had this, like, group where men were talking in San Quentin about, like, how they grew up and their feelings and how they ended up where they were. And several of them that they talked to were people who had killed people. And they were talking about how they got to that place. And a lot of it was this kind of, you know, proving your masculinity as a big part of it. Not letting anybody disrespect you was a big part of it. But was also having all of these repressed emotions and, yeah. like, not knowing what to do with those feelings. Yeah. And that's a that's a huge, huge part of it. And it's incredibly detrimental to men in general. It is. Let's talk a little bit about, like, the hierarchy in families, this notion that men are supposed to provide the stereotype that men typically don't take care of their children as much, um, you know, that it's the woman's job, things like that. And also when it's flipped, I was just watching a video recently where this uh, woman was talking about uh, when she and her husband first got married, he lost his job and how she was then able to be more bossy because she was the one making more money. And she was so she was like, he was down here and I was up here. And now we're kind of back to where we're supposed to be in this weird. Yeah, this weird thing that I feel like women even feel, too. Oh, absolutely. And tend to humiliate their husbands when they don't have jobs or don't have like steady incomes and things like that. But this also like detrimental feeling of being a man and maybe not making enough money or being able to provide and then what do you that do? Need to. What do you do with what that? What do you do with those feelings? Yeah, because we've also been taught that like you're now you're feeling emasculated, yeah. right? And you're feeling like worthless and you've also been conditioned not to voice your feelings. Right. So what do you do then in order to regain your masculinity? A lot of that is really destructive in the ways that men will try to regain their masculinity. But also this idea of fathers being more distant from their children not taking care of them, not being as affectionate and loving with them, I think is something that's really common, and it's definitely a stereotype. I don't believe that's the way with a lot of fathers, and I think that's changing a lot because these these kids from past generations are growing up and realizing that they lacked that connection Absolutely. with their fathers, and they want to make that change with their it own children. It was really beautiful. They followed a father-son in this documentary for part of it, and it was really, really cool to see because he was really trying to change the script with his own chi- his own child because his father was not affectionate at all to him mm-hmm. but he was talking about how difficult that was because he's a single father and he was talking about how hard it was for him um because he had no experience with yeah. it like he did not he didn't know. know how to be affectionate with a child and they talk that they talk about that a lot in that um with fathers who have little boys they're so enamored with the fact that these little boys are so open they have this openness they want to like hug they want to be loved but it also scares them because they don't know what to do with that well also also, because they've been conditioned not mm -hmm. to show their affection and things like that so when your child is showing you that affection you you want to show it back you want to show it back but you don't know how to you don't know what's okay you don't know what's appropriate absolutely you know like there's you know there are father and sons that i've seen that you know young boys still kissing their fathers on the mouths or like still cuddling with them and things like that and i've discussed this a lot where it's very weird 
for me to see fathers and daughters being affectionate. It's weird to see fathers and sons being affectionate for me because I never had that with my father growing up. But it's something that I've, like, grown to be able to celebrate and recognize as being, like, a really beautiful thing. And necessary. And necessary. And knowing that, like, each father-son relationship has their own little unique ways of being affectionate, I just think it's important for them to be affectionate and not leave all of the caring and kindness to the mother. It's not all good cop, bad cop. You right. know what I mean? Right. I mean, and in the same vein, you know, it's also very strange that a lot of times, especially in generations past... Fathers will not want their sons to be too attached to their mothers. Yeah. Because they'll say, you're turning him into a sissy. Don't hug him too much. Like, don't show him too much affection because it'll make him weak. And so then what happens to these young boys? Yeah. Because they're not... Well, they're not They're not getting affection from their mom the way that they should be because... They're being told that that it makes them a mama's way and it makes them weak. Yeah. And they're not getting the same kind of affection from their fathers either. Yeah. Like, it's okay for girls to be daddy's girl or mama's girl. Like, it's okay for us to be yeah. that. But it is not okay for for boys to be a, a mama's boy. No. You know, like, it's not okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I, I definitely believe that there's a line when it comes to affection with children and when it comes to things like crying and stuff like that, because like as kids get older, yes, allow them to cry. But at the same time, like they need to learn that that's not always like cry, but you still need to like communicate your emotions and come up with a solution and come up with a yeah. solution rather than crying. And, you know, with me, I've been trying to teach, you know, I was going to say my kid, but that sounds really weird, but my kid, (laughs) about, like, when he's crying to not lash out in anger at himself, because that's a really big thing for him, and to just cry, 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 and not be able to tell me what's going on. So I'm like, just tell me. I'm like, when you're, it's like, it's one of those things, like, babies cry because they can't tell you what's wrong, so you just have to keep trying, 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 trying until they get, you know, the food, the changing, the cleaning, whatever they need, but when you're older, you have to learn to communicate what you want because I can't guess, and that also perpetuates this notion of, like, people are going to understand what's going on with me even when I don't say it. Yes, I mean, and that's just teaching emotional intelligence, oh, and, yeah. like, that's just something that we need to teach to all of, all children, because well, yeah. I I didn't have a good way of expressing I always thought I was putting people out you know so I internalized a lot of my issues still do that I still do that yeah you know it's a difficult thing to learn yeah um but I do think it's made even harder whenever you are told to deal with it we put this almost idea of manliness on little boys. Yeah. I, I saw it a lot with my Man brothers. Man of the house. Right? Yeah. yeah. There was. I saw it a lot with my little brothers where I could still have issues and voice my issues and my concerns up through now. Like, you know, up, but especially like all throughout my childhood for sure. Yeah. You know, whereas we have this idea with boys that they are already men um, especially if they maybe go through puberty pretty young. Yeah. Like, my little brothers were taller than me by the time they were, like, 13. They looked yeah. like men. Yeah. And, but they weren't men. They, they were, were boys. boys. Um, but we have this idea that we can treat them like men. And yeah. the way that we treat men is to say, um, you're fine. Yeah. Walk it off. Well, and Pick it's yourself like, up. Yeah, and it's because they want to teach boys at a young age to toughen up so that they can be prepared for that when they're older. You know what I mean? Instead of nurturing that, like, more sensitive side. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, But, you know, when we were talking about kind of the relationship with boys and mothers, there's actually been, like, studies that have been done that say that if you are a boy in particular, that you if you stay close to your mom... um, you are less likely to be involved in violence, you are more likely to su- succeed in life, and you are more likely to live longer yeah. like, if you can have a healthy relationship with your mother. And so, I do believe that it helps you form healthy relationships with, with a other significant women. other mm-hmm. or a woman in your life, as I believe that it's important for girls to have good relationships with their fathers to help form healthy relationships later on in their lives. Yeah. I did just want to address really quickly, we... Um, We've been touching throughout this entire thing about how detrimental uh, toxic masculinity is to men and boys, but I really do want to put a lot of emphasis on the fact that boys get bullied at a very high rate in school, 
Again, as you were saying, it doesn't often get dealt with in the same way that it would be dealt with if it, if a girl was involved. Yeah. Um, so they're going through this consistently. Then they're told not to talk about it. And they're told to push it down and not to deal with their emotions. So I, I do want, really want to emphasize, because I know that this is some, like, criticism that we've gotten before, is that, like, well, why are the men's suicide rates so high? The men's suicide uh-huh. rates are higher than women's suicide rates. And that, that is right. But it is right because of toxic masculinity. Yeah. That is something that happens. It doesn't exist in this, like, vacuum. It exists because we live in a culture that doesn't allow boys to, um, like, talk about their feelings. Yes. And so, yes, they are more likely to commit suicide or attempt suicide. They are more likely to suffer from um, abuse, alcohol abuse. And actually... Another thing that we haven't touched on yet is that there's actually a very large number of young boys who have been physically or sexually assaulted at a very young age, and they are far less likely to ever come forward and say anything about it. Well, because one, there is an idea that men cannot be sexually assaulted. Two, there is an idea that by saying that you've been sexually assaulted, that somehow makes you less of a man or less of a boy or whatever. And there's also, I think, a lack of um, belief in general in victims, but especially in young boys and things that you just don't want to believe when you hear this from a child. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, I think it's difficult to believe in general. Um, it, it's it's hard for people to comprehend. But when it comes to girls, we have almost, because of the patriarchy, because of toxic masculin- masculinity, we have this understanding that that's going to happen to women. Yeah. Right? Like, that's a thing that's going to happen to women. It does. It happens to, like, one in five women are assaulted or um, raped. Yeah. Um, and so we have this inherent belief that because this is a thing that men do to women... Um, we're more likely to believe a woman who comes forward. And even then, a lot of women are not believed. Yeah. Um, but that number is much, much smaller for men. And there's actually... Well, it's also, it's it. less manly for boys to talk about um, their feelings around trauma, which is what we were saying. Right. So by, by even mentioning the fact that they are struggling in general... And they're also supposed to see sex, again, as a victory. So whenever you talk about someone like Chris Brown, who I've talked about before, who came out and said, I'm such a man, I had sex when I was eight years old. Yeah. And it's like, no, no, you you didn't have sex when you were eight years old. You were taken advantage of by someone who should have known better. Yeah. And, like, so there is this weird, toxic language around trauma. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one in six boys is sexually assaulted. That's so One in six. It's a huge number. So, most likely, you know a boy who, or, yeah. or a man who, as a boy, was sexually assaulted. Right. Um, and there, probably will never talk about it. Have you watched the most recent Dave Chappelle stand-up? I have not. I've I, heard not great things. I wouldn't. Um, I found a lot of things funny. I found a lot of things really really disgusting, especially discussing um, his disbelief that Michael Jackson ever molested those boys. He thinks they're lying. And he had this joke about, like, the, you know, the kid coming to school the next day, basically making a joke about having given Michael Jackson fellatio and being, like, proud of it because it's Michael Jackson. Like, I'd be, he's like, I'd be coming to school the next day, like, what'd you do this weekend? I did this. It's just such this weird, like, no, these boys did not want this. These and boys you would were taken never say that about a little girl. No. Like, you would never say that. It doesn't matter how famous the, yeah. the person is. You would never say that I, I went and I, I went to school proud, yeah. right? Because we don't sexualize, like, we don't celebrate that kind of, like, hypersexuality. And we should not celebrate that in boys either. No, it's no, disgusting. No, no, it shouldn't be. But, like, because trauma is trauma. Like, you know what I mean? And it, it doesn't discriminate. And boys don't understand sex at that age either. Like, boys and girls, when they're that young, neither of them have an understanding of what's being done to them. Right. You know what I mean? But boys know that something, I mean, they both know that something really bad happened to them, but the ways that they will communicate it afterwards are very different, and a lot of times that way to work through it is violence in boys, because they don't understand it. Because, you know, 
they were talking a lot about how violence is closely linked to shame and humiliation. Yeah. And so if you are feeling this deep shame, you don't know how to deal with it, or you're so scared to feel shame that you do say something like, aren't I at the man for having sex at eight years old? Yeah. You know, because you don't want to be shamed. No. You don't want to feel like a victim. You don't want to be seen like a victim, yeah. So if anyone threatens that, very often you're going to lash like you're going to lash out in violence. Violence exactly. is, is born of shame and humiliation. Like that's where it comes from. Exactly. So I do kind of just want that to be like a note of like it's really difficult for boys. And I don't think we talk about this as much as we should, especially in the feminism community. Um and I'm glad we're doing this episode because I think that it it's something that does need to be addressed. Yeah. It's like all of this that we're living in right now, the reason why feminism exists, the reason why like we feel like we need to stand up for women and stand up for survivors, all of it stems from the so- socialization that we all have in this country growing up, but particularly the the socialization that we put on young boys. Like, Agreed. And it turns them into this thing. Yeah, we have a listener who is a younger boy who listens with his sister to this mm-hmm. show, which I love so much, and he responds to, like, my personal Instagram and our Instagram and things like that sometimes. And I think it's really important for any young boys who are listening, any grown men who are listening, that this is a feminist issue. Absolutely. Anything to do with gender norms, toxic masculinity, it's not something that we are chastising men for. This is not misandry. This is something no. that we want you to be included in in the conversation. And There's having the naysayers, yeah, yeah, and even having the naysayers who are in the men's movement say, saying the exact same things that we are, which we discussed in the Red Pill episode, I want them to understand that what you are fighting for is the same thing that we are fighting for, that nobody should be a victim of abuse. Nobody should have to go to those lengths to prove themselves, whether it be their masculinity, their strength, anything like that. We need to stop this whole real men are strong or boys don't cry or anything like that because we should be treating everybody as equal, much like we said in our Gendering Children episode, that it applies all to adulthood as well. And because it does lead to violence. It leads to other things that we talk about within feminism. Yeah. And it leads not only to violence against women, but it leads to violence against other men. And yeah. it leads to um, self-harm and yeah. self-inflicted you know, inflicted violence. Like, it is a mess all the way around. And we yeah. completely need to change the conversation. And there are ways to do it. Right. There are there are risk factors that you can see. Um, that wonderful, wonderful article that I got from the American Psychology Association was talking about... Um, different risk factors, which we've already discussed a lot of them, but I'm going to run down them really quick. That's exposure to violence at home, social rejection among peers, poor behavioral control and overly sexualized attitudes and behavior, socialization, condoning male dominance and violence. And prevention strategies really is all about education. Negative consequences of physical punishment and humiliation techniques on children should not be used. Teach children to express and regulate emotions and promote healthy relationships. Those are just like at the very basis of what we can do to change a lot of this toxic masculinity. Absolutely. And I know that we're kind of running a bit long, but I found this hypo... Wait, what is it? Mytho... Mythopoetic men's movement. Oh, I I, uh, I did a little bit of looking at Very this. Very fascinating. So, this the term toxic masculinity was actually, they say, first used by this movement, which I think is very fascinating. This movement was big in the 80s and 90s. It's a movement that was a body of self self-help activities and therapeutic workshops and retreats for men. The term mythopoetic was coined by author Shepard Bliss in liking to the term New Age Men's Movement. And this guy believes that toxic masculinity is responsible responsible for most of the evil in the world. So, so far, you're kind of like, cool. Yeah, on board so far. There are some good things about this and there are some really... Yeah. <laughs> The mythopoetic style was influenced by uh, Jungian, which is Carl Jung. Is it Jungian or Jungian? Youngian? Young Youngian. I'm not sure. Youngian. I'm sorry. I took psychology a bunch too, and I'm totally fucking this up. Um, by authors of that have been studied by Carl Jung 
that have studied Carl Jung, whatever, uh, where the use of myths and fairy tales saved, served as a way to interpret the challenges men face in society. I watched a video of them breaking this down, and it is wild. It's like, weird. It's weird. So the therapeutic practices and retreats include Native American rituals such as drumming, chanting, and sweat lodges. The participants were mostly middle-class, middle-aged men. So probably... A lot of white men. Yep. White dudes. White dudes. The purpose to connect spiritually with the lost, deep masculine identity of inner self. One of the most famous texts of the movement was Iron John, a book about men by Robert Bry. He argued that male energy had been diluted through feminism, industrialization, and separating of fathers from family through working outside the home. Bly believed that these male-only gatherings were key to understanding the forces influencing the roles of men in modern society and how these changes affect behavior, self-awareness, and identity. It's like, so you're basically saying only men allowed. <laughs> well, but you know what? Again, I don't know. I'm, I'm very conflicted about this. Because, I am too. Because on the one hand, I actually understand and agree with a lot of what they're Same. saying. Me and, too. And I'm okay with men having spaces to themselves that well, are agreed, just for them to be able to, be healthy to connect with each other. But it has to be you know? healthy. But, and you know what? It, it might not be. Every every single one, um, every single one of these retreats might not be unhealthy. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? However, I do think anytime they start throwing in, like, anti-feminism, I get concerned. Because, again, this we're all fighting on the same team. Yeah, <laughs> you know and what there's I mean? something about understanding your masculinity where I wonder if that's the right phrasing. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like there needs to be other phrasing because of the connotation that masculinity holds. You know what well, I mean? but I don't know, because I think maybe the same as I would with, like, any other group of people, I think if you want to take your power back from that, like, of that word, because, because to me, like, that's the problem, is that when you say toxic masculinity, all people hear is toxic men. Yeah. And, like, that's not true. Like, masculinity is, is not, not toxic. toxic. Like, that that's not the problem. It's yeah. the ways that we have decided as a culture to display your masculinity right. is toxic. So according to sociologist Michael Messner, mythopoets believe that the rise of the urban industrial society trapped men into straitjackets of rationality, thus blunting the emotional communication and collective spiritual transcendence that men in tribal societies had. Because men no longer perform masculine rituals, mythopoets believe men have become mutated into destructive, hypermasculine, chauvinist, and too feminized. Okay, they, you're trying to lose me now. I know, like, exactly. They need to discover, quote, deep masculinity to distinguish between genuine masculinity and toxic masculinity. So there is still this weird thing where they're talking about <laughs> you need to connect with your manliness. Don't be too feminine. It's, it's, like, it's, it's a weird very strange line. because half of what they're saying, it's I'm great. like, yes. And then they'll throw something in and I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. Um, because I do understand what they're saying. I, I think masculine ritual is a weird way to put it <laughs> um, because that could mean any number of things. Um, but I also do understand what they're saying as far as just like the industrial revolution probably did change 100%. our relationships. Like, yeah. And so trying to go back to the root of like connecting to men yeah. In, in kind of like, for lack of a better term, a tribal sense. Yeah. Um, is not inherently bad. No. But I do think like glomming on to like like Native American practices in yeah. a way to like reinforce like masculine rituals is like ugh, cringy. It's I don't weird. like that. It's totally weird. I would highly recommend you guys to learn more about it because it fucking fascinated me and I wrote a bunch more notes and there's no way I'm going through them because this would be a two but, hour but episode. But it's fa it is fascinating. It's fucking it's, fascinating. It's, it's crazy. It's very weird. I watched a video on YouTube. Um, I don't want to say it's very weird because in, in so many ways I'm like, you have, I think your heart's in the right place, I think. Right, but but the certain things that they're missing, you're kind of like, ooh. I, uh. But listening to them talk about it and they're like, it all started with the Knights of the Round Table and like the quest for the Holy Grail and I'm like, oh, you, you're nerds. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's fine, but <laughs> honestly, like... Oh, you nerds. Okay, I okay, see you. Okay, I, I got it. I see you, I see you. Um, but, you know, in the same breath in that video, he was also talking about how white knighting is toxic, and I'm like, yeah. okay, so, like, we're on the same page, like, 80% of the time. Yeah, and then you gotta throw some other shit in there, you gotta there, throw man. some weird thing about feminism and ultra-feminizing men, and I'm like, all yeah. right, I, you lost me. Okay, no. You know. All right, you guys. Thank you so much. I would actually really love to hear from people on this episode 
specifically. I would love to hear from men. I would love to hear from women. I want to hear what you have to say. Things you may thoughts. have missed. Give us your thoughts on what we said, what your viewpoints are. I'm very, very fascinated to hear your responses so that we in turn can learn more as well. So please, please, please email us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com. Wow, I almost was like gmail. Gmail at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram. You can follow us or direct message us there at Angry Neighborhood Feminist. We have a Twitter at Yamp Podcast. Y-A-N-F Podcast. You can find us on Facebook. We have a business and a group page. Hang out with your fellow ragers on the group page and go ahead and rate and review us on our business page. We love it. We also love it when you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so much. If you don't already, go ahead and download that Radio Public app as a free way for you to listen to us. Helps us out just a little bit, and we appreciate it. That's all we have for today. With all that being said, we encourage you to rage on. Bye. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.